Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Pound for Pound podcast here on the Fight Game Media Network. I'm your co-host, Carlos Toro, and joining me every single week is Robert Silva. Robert, how are you doing, my man? I'm doing great, and uh, ladies and gentlemen, Carlos has a ton of news, and he will be bringing it to you right now, yeah. starting right now. Yeah, it's a. this is going to be a very, very... A news-heavy show. Not a ton of reactions from over the weekend. There were, uh, you know, fights in the UK, but nothing too big. Well, we'll get into that in just a second. But the, I suppose the biggest news story, at least the most surprising story of over the past few days, which took place on uh, this past Friday, was the announcement, the shock announcement, that Ryan Garcia, top lightweight contender, one of the fastest-rising young boxing stars in the world, has announced that he will no longer be trained by Eddie Reynoso, who, for those of you who don't know, also is the trainer and the manager of one Canelo Alvarez. Instead, Ryan Garcia will now be trained under Joe Goosen, who's had a long, decorated career of training a number of world champions. And for those of you who, you know, are regular of... PBC on Fox, you may probably know him better as one of the color commentators for PBC on Fox's cards and on pay-per-view. But yeah, Ryan Garcia will now be trained under Ryan Garcia, uh, under Joe Goose. And it's a very, very interesting timing in all of this because this comes just after it was announced that Ryan will be facing Emmanuel Tago. On April 9, on the zone in San Antonio. So now, with Ryan going to the ring for the first time in 15 months, he'll be working with Joe Goose in one essentially less than two months' notice. And this will be a very, very interesting fight. I think this adds a lot more intrigue into the, this main event to see what will be done between. Joe and Ryan in the meantime, Ryan was going to be operating out of his own gym now in San Diego. A lot of changes in Ryan's camp. He's now also going to be bringing in his dad as a co-trainer, Henry Garcia. And it's a lot of, it's very, very, I don't want to say strange, but it was very surprising. And there's a number of ways that this can play out. But before I sort of get into that, Robert, what were your initial thoughts on Ryan now being trained by Joe Goosen? How long was Reynoso training Garcia? What, the last four or five fights when he had that nice knockout streak that he started, right? That's when he, um, yeah, so- and, you, you had, and we had seen an increased improvement, an incredible improvement in his, in his style and his punching power and his throwing combinations. I don't understand the change. Carlos... You have sources. Anybody tell you anything about a disagreement between him and Reynoso? Because this doesn't make any mother effing sense at all to me. So, first of all, to, to answer your question, so Eddie and Ryan, their first fight together was December 2018 against Braulio Rodriguez, which was on the Canelo Rocky Fielding undercard okay. at Madison Square Garden. and that, So, three years. He was his trainer for three years. Three okay. years, all right. five fights, yeah. all by mm-hmm. knockout, and... You know, you're, you're right. There was a noticeable mm. improvement in Ryan yes. Garcia as, as a fighter, as a more disciplined, more complete fighter. It he it wasn't. We still have yet to see the finished product because there were still a lot of things that Ryan needed a lot of improving. But, you know, from what I could tell, I mean, based on what Ryan has been saying, it didn't seem like it was a bad spell, or at least publicly it was somewhat amicable. But... I'm looking at this and I'm thinking that this is Ryan wanting to take maybe more charge of who it, who he's going to be able to train under of his brand of his you know of his professional life and I don't think it was so much of Eddie wanting to take more control of Ryan's uh boxing life uh as a trainer or may, and maybe even something more but I mean you also got to consider Eddie has a big stable of well, not necessarily a big stable, but has but has a stable with a lot of big name fighters. 
And you also got to consider the fact that, you know, he's training Canelo Alvarez, who's probably going to be fighting in May. It's almost a foregone conclusion. And he's fight, and he's also training Oscar Valdez, uh, you know, at the end of April against Shakur Stevenson. I mean, if yeah, well, you're... Isn't he, isn't he training all these guys in the same area? Remember, you just said... The very first fight Garcia had with Reynoso was on a Canelo undercard. That means he was training both at the same time. Um, he would have been able to do it. I, 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 I don't understand the change. I don't. And Reynoso didn't want it. You just mentioned this was Ryan's decision. Mm-hmm. Why the, does he think? I don't understand. And he's coming off a, a mental health issue. It's coming out surgery, surgery inactivity for almost a year and a half. I don't like to change. I mean, I still think he wins his next fight. He's a better fighter than the guy he's fighting. But down the line, when he fights the tanks and the Lomachenko's and the Haney's, this might have a serious impact on his on on the outcome of those fights. Because look, Joe Goosen has had a decorate a decorated career as a trainer, but when was the last time he trained an elite fighter? You are, you know, you bring up a really good point, and it's been a long time. But I think there's a couple of things um, that I've yet to point uh, that I've yet to know. One is that Joe and Ryan go way back; they've known each other for a very long time, so they already are familiar with one another. And you know, I don't one. I don't think it's because Ryan can't handle the. Uh, you know, being at the Reynoso camp and, you know, training alongside Canel and Oscar Valdez and that he wants to, an easygoing trainer because Joe Goosen is absolutely not. And and I'm going to say this in the nicest and most complimentary way. Joe Goosen, as a trainer, is kind of a hard ass. He, he's a no-nonsense guy who, you know, really doesn't take shit in, in, his, in his gym. So, I don't think it's because, you know, he can't hack it at, at Reynoso's camp if he's going to go to Joe Goosen. Because Joe is going to make him, you know, he's going to make Ryan work and train his ass off, you know, regardless of what's going on. Uh, there's a couple of ways that I think this can go. The way that I'm looking at this is, what does Joe, what can Joe do for Ryan? That Eddie Reynoso can't. And I guess the best way I can think about it is that, I mean, Joe and Eddie are two different trainers who have very different training uh, philosophies. I mean, you've known, you know this, Robert. Eddie is a little bit more tactical, I guess, in for lack yes. of a better word. Yeah, if he, you look no- at if you look at Goosen, one of his biggest fighters was Diego Corrales. Mm-hmm. Diego showed no type of boxing acumen under Goosen. He was a straight slugger. Uh, while Eddie, if you see, he's made Valdez into a more technical fighter. Canelo is as technically great as anybody in the sport today. And look at the improvement Garcia made as a boxer puncher under uh, Reynoso. Goosen, I can see Goosen trying to turn Garcia into a killer. It'll work in his next fight. There are a lot of great boxers at 135 pounds that could take advantage of that uh, extra aggression that a goosen type fighter brings. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and that, that's you know that's a great uh, that's a great. That's point. what I'm worried here, about because Reynoso is a master tactician. I don't understand it. The way I can think about it is, if you're uh, you know Ryan under Eddie Reynoso is going to make Ryan I guess a more complete fighter and yes, work a little bit yes. more on those defensive issues and those footwork issues yes. that he has a little bit. But with Joe, you can make the argument that Joe maybe at the expense of maybe not working as much on some of those deficiencies, but fine tuning his biggest strengths than being which his is speed, his power. Which is his power and his speed, and yeah, and he's got a got a developing great body, uh, great body work. He he can. I mean, we saw it in Luke Campbell fight. He really knows how to attack the body, and Joe can make it. Garcia, but that that's another thing Reynoso's great at. Yeah, Canelo Canelo's the best body puncher in the sport. (laughs) Yeah, so I'm. 
you know, I'm not going to say, I think it's too early to say whether or not this will work. And I, even with this first fight, I think it would be a little too early to tell because you got less than two months to prepare for this fight. And mm-hmm. I think with this first fight, I don't think we're going to get something drastically different from Ryan Garcia. Now, we're not, we're not going to know Carlos until he fights an elite fighter. Yes. All right. Yes. That that that'll be the tell the telltale uh, of whether or not Goose is good for him. Gun to my head, in a perfect world, Garcia should have stayed with Reynoso. I, I don't like the decision. I don't like it. Him and Reynoso showed a lot of chemistry. You, We just mentioned the incredible improvement Garcia had under Reynoso. And that 135-pound division is stacked. You need all the advantages you can have. Uh, I mean, Goosen is a great trainer. But like you said, Carlos, he's a power puncher trainer which is not going to help him against guys like Haney, uh, Shakur, Lomachenko, etc. It's Here's another thing. With this trainer change, he's no longer under Eddie Reynoso. The, you know, all the pressure's on Ryan now. It's all he's, on he's him still, to... He's still a golden boy, right? Huh? He's still a golden boy, right? Yes, yes. He's still okay. with, with Oscar De La Hoya, but yeah. The, uh, all the pressure's on him, and... The only way we'll truly know, as you as you mentioned, Robert, that this partnership can work is whether or not he beats a top lightweight, whether it mm-hmm. be George Cambosos, whether it be Devin Haney or a Lomachenko or a Gervonta Davis. Right. The success of this partnership will hinge upon Ryan going up against those guys, and there's a possibility. There's an, there's a possibility that if Lomachenko uh, that if um George Cambosos fights Lomachenko as it's being reported it's not a done deal yet but it's the I guess the current front running favorite what what are, what are you hearing that that's probably the fight's going to happen I mean let the listeners know what you're hearing so first off I, I should mention you know Cam, George Cambosos unified lightweight champion there were initial talks between him and fighting Devin Haney on the zone later this year, but it it's, I mean, I don't want to say that it's been a train wreck of a negotiation, but man, it's, it, it was just poor negotiations from, uh, you know, from all sides around, you know, the zone reportedly not, wasn't really that interested in Kembos' versus Haney. And, you know, it was a lot of, just ugly back and forth between both sides, you know, and, and Devin, you know, I don't know if it's, you know, I, I don't know if it's because he does, you know, he priced himself out. I don't think it was because of that. I think, you know, I, I think that overall, you know, the powers that be just aren't that interested in, in Devin Haney. And, and I feel bad for him because Devin Haney is a tremendous young fighter who... Hey, uh, was it Eddie Hearn was pushing hard to make this fight, right? He was trying everything he could. I, well, he... See, basically, it was it was weird. It was a it was a very weird and very public back and forth with Eddie and Lou DeBella and Kim right, Bosos. Right, 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 right That right. you know, I mean, you can just tell from far away that fight's not going to happen because I mean, if if it's that bad that it getting leaked into that. The, so the wait a minute, the zone the zone didn't want that fight yet. This fight will end up on ESPN, right? So Lomachenko is, uh, <laughs> as reportedly, maybe I believe, has signed or at least has agreed to his side of the deal for right. a potential fight in Australia in June. June 4th, I, right. in June, June. June 4th is what I read. Yeah. So it's so for those of you who don't know, it, that falls uh, June 4 is or I get I should say I don't think it was June. It would 4th. be in, it will be June 5th in Australia, June yes. 4th here. Yes, yeah. yes, sorry. Yeah. I, I wanted to yeah. make Make sure yeah. I, I got that right. Yes. When you say June yeah. 4, you're talking about U.S. United time. United States. Because yeah, in, time. Yeah, yeah. in Australia, it would be early morning, noon-ish in Australia. Basically, if you rem- if any of you remember Manny Pacquiao you know, Jeff versus Horn, Jeff Horn. It was essentially thing. that. It yeah. was very yeah. bright and sunny out there It was, but it, oh, in Australia, but it was prime time in the United States. So. And before you were born, the second Jeff Fennick-Azuma Nelson fight, same thing. So that is the current. Um, so that's the. So right now, Lomachenko but the, but is the, the front runner. The fight will happen on ESPN, right? 
on an ESPN platform. On an ESPN platform, yes. So you're telling me the zone wasn't interested in that fight. Meanwhile, they don't get the fight. They weren't, I think, I think it from, the Dev, they weren't interested in the Devin Haney fight, yet <laughs> Campos is, is probably going to wind up fighting on ESPN. So, it, based on one arena, obviously, I don't know if it's truly concrete, but apparently, the zone probably was a little yeah. more interested in Ryan Garcia fighting okay. Campos. All right, well, because Garcia is a bigger name. Not necessarily a better fighter, but a bigger no, name. No, he is the bigger name, but you know what? They should have went and tried to make that Haney fight, because now they don't get either fight. And uh, you 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 you're, you're going to report that it might be a two fight deal. So that's two fights not on the zone. Yeah, I believe that. I believe it's a two fight deal if Lomachenko wins. It's going to be a two fight deal because Lomachenko is going to win. I would right now put Lomachenko maybe as the favorite, but I wouldn't yeah. necessarily say it's a foregone conclusion because Cambosa stands a really really good chance. I think he has definitely earned himself a fair shot against Lomachenko. And even it's though gonna, it's a different story, Tio stood right in front of him that entire fight. Loma's going to give him Loma's going to give him angles, counter punch, go to the body. Cambosas has never fought anybody like Lomachenko. You saw the Lopez fight. Lopez was in front of him the whole time. <laughs> Lopez had no movement whatsoever. He was coming at him. And I think it's there's a lot to be. Yeah. Said about Lomachenko because man, I I think it's fair to say a lot of people thought Lomachenko was now over the hill after the loss to Teofimo Lopez. But man, he has looked so spectacular in the follow up fights un- to Jeremy Nakadili and Richard Gomez. Under- I don't understand what he did against Lopez that night. He fought for the first half of the fight like he was scared. Didn't make any sense to me because when he turned it on, Carlos, because you and I got on right after with with with, with uh Garrett. And the second half of the fight, when he when he pressed the action, he dominated until he got hurt in the twelfth round. So I don't know. Uh, it's going to be an exciting fight, but unless the Lo- Lomo, the Loma that shows up against Lopez shows up against Cambosos, I don't see Cambosos winning. I don't. L- Lomo's just too still too great of a fighter. But we'll see. I'm looking forward to it. Um, and um, I hope Cambosos gets the most money he can. For this fight, yeah, and and I think it's gonna make uh, make great business, and I think it's gonna be a great visual over there in Australia. I believe they're going at a, I believe it's called the Marvel Stadium, which is like a fifty three thousand yeah seat capacity. They, which they're gonna sell out. They'll sell out that fifty three thousand. It's gonna look great on TV, and um, it's gonna look great here in America because we're gonna watch it at night. Yeah, with, uh, with, with, but it'll be daytime. Why you watching it? <laughs> you know, I would not have minded if this was like a a Sunday early in the day type of like a Sunday matinee show. I would not have minded if it got to that point. You know, boxing needs more major shows early in the day. Well, they they've been having it all right. The Zone has shown a bunch of afternoon fights in the last couple of years. Yeah, but no, but I'm talking like wake up. It's you know, wake up. It's like eight in the morning, and there's some good boxing on. I'm oh. Talking, well, you're going, you're going to have you're going to have that this Saturday, right? Lenares is fighting at nine thirty in the morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll get into all that yeah, later, we'll get, later on. But yeah, yeah you're yeah. right, you're right. Yeah, Jorge Lenares yeah. is fighting in Russia on Saturday morning. Well, you're yeah. you're right. Yeah. So that's obviously there's a lot of back and forth and a lot of fights sort of being thrown around. Then today, February. Oh, by the way, oh. by the way, we uh, I had asked you last week. We're talking news. I had asked you last week. Where what platform will Spence Ugas go on? And you said you wasn't sure if it was Fox or Showtime. Showtime got the fight, right? Showtime pay per view. It's from what I've read, I believe you know Showtime's making a strong effort, and they may have may have gotten the fight, but it's yet to be announced. But it's looking. I thought I I saw some. I I I thought I saw Coppinger or Benson announced that Showtime pay per view was getting the fight. It's being reported, but it was never officially confirmed? announced. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't confirmed. Okay. It wasn't officially announced. That's the thing. That fight's going on Showtime. Because when was the last time Fox showed a real good pay-per-view? And at the same time, I mean, I don't know how much Fox is, you know, ready to pony up so much uh, yeah. pay-per-view fights so early in the year. I mean, we're already on, you know, we're on two. 
yeah, two, yeah, that, that's three two. two but talking yeah. about three for the first four months, and that's not even to you know, and that's also counting still technically the possibility of Jamal Charlo versus Canelo Alvarez, although that's very unlikely at this point. But it, that's another question I want to ask. Uh, where where is that right now as far as who? Canelo's next opponent is because he hasn't announced anything yet. There's been speculation, but nothing official. So you know, last week I had said I would bet that Jamal Charlo was the maybe the favorite to land a Canelo fight. Now you know I'm not so sure. It's now being reported more and more likely that Canelo could be fighting. You know the the one offer that is kind of being thrown around is a two fight deal starting with Dimitri Bivol. And, you know, that at least that part is looking more and more likely. It's the second fight that, you know, I still am a little iffy on. But it's a third fight against Gennady Golovkin, provided that he beats Ryoto Murata whenever that fight happens. That Because that fight has also is limbo right now. That, that still has no confirmed date. But... That is kind of the the deal you know, being thrown around. It's it, it's funny. They say, well, Canelo has no. Canelo doesn't have to beat Bavall to fight Triple G in the fall because going to be doesn't. at one sixty eight. He could he could lose to Bavall and still fight Triple G, ladies and gentlemen. And there's no guarantee. By the way, I'm not convinced the Triple G uh, trilogy fight happens if he loses to Ryota Murata, which is still very I, realistic. They could still that both fights could still happen. All oh, uh. I'm going to mute myself. Keep talking. My lady's calling. I'll get back. I'm going to mute myself. So I don't think that, you know, Ellison, I could be very, very wrong. You know, it's not like Golovkin can't fight Canelo if he loses to Ryoto Murata. But, you know, there's a lot of things that is going on, you know, with the negotiations. And, you know, there's a lot of things. Like, if Canelo signs that reported two-fight deal, I mean, we don't know for sure. If Golovkin Murata happens next, there's still a lot that still needs to be figured out when it comes to the COVID travel restrictions. I mean, COVID uh, put the kibosh on that first Golovkin Murata fight that was supposed to take place late last year, and there's still no date. And you you can't expect me to believe Golovkin fights Murata, you know, in June or even July, and then go straight into Canelo Alvarez in September. You know, it's you know it's possible, but I'm leaning towards it's likely not. And as for Jamal Charlo, I don't know what you know. I don't know why uh, the talks have fallen through. And I know some people are going to say you know it's the recent arrest that you know he had in connection to an incident last fall. I don't think I don't think Canelo Alvarez is not picking Jamal Charlo because of that. I don't think it's because of that. And. And and plus, we've seen fighters left and right get big fights uh, after dealing with multiple legal and way more legal issues than Charlo has. Because Sergey Kovalev had had a ton of you know the the alleged you know um, by assault charges and all the issues that was following him. He still got fights. He still got a title defense against Anthony Yard and a title and a fight against Canelo Alvarez, all within a few months of span. So, I don't think it's because I don't think Charles. If if Charles doesn't get Canelo in May, I don't think it's because of the recent issues that he's currently dealing with. But I don't know. You know, Canelo loves working with Eddie Hearn. That's no secret, and he's conquered. 168. When I say conquered, I mean he's he's won all the belts. That was his objective. His objective for 2021 was to win, become the undisputed champion 168. He's done that. Maybe he maybe he could go and maybe he feels like you know there's a there's still challenges at 175 that I feel like I can I can do. And Dimitri Bivol is you know stylistically maybe the toughest fight for Canel Alvarez. You know, from from a technical perspective, Bivol is very tricky. He's a very, very good. He's a very good fighter with incredible jab work, and his footwork is tremendous. And he will move much better than most of Canelo's past opponents. And he's still at, at a spot in his career where he feels great physically, where. He got no problem going to 168. He's still fighting 175. He's still fighting at a very high level. 
problem is, you know, Bival has never been truly tested at, at the top. And, you know, I, I'd say Canelo still beats Bival because I think Canelo will systematically break down Bival. But, you know, some people have Bival as the number one light heavy right now. And if Canelo conquers Bival, then, you know, he can make a claim to being the best light, uh, the best super middleweight and the best light heavyweight. Legitimately. Let me ask you. Let me ask you a question, Carlos. Uh, better be Evan Smith. Is that a done deal yet? I wouldn't say it's a done deal, but it's looking more and more like a possibility and more realistic. Maybe in the summer in New York. But and let me and let me ask you another question. Is uh is there an issue with Canelo not wanting to fight for Aram or with Aram? Because from what I've read, that's the holdup if for unification. If better VF wins, and oh well, it doesn't matter because they're both uh, Aaron fighters. Mm-hmm. But if Canelo beats Bavall, and instead of fighting Triple G, go for that light heavyweight championship of the world. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, both Carlos and I had predicted at the end of last year's uh, end of the year episode on the Fight Game Media Pound for Pound podcast that Canelo would be fighting. At light heavyweight this year. Remember that. Remember Carlos? <laughs> Remember Carlos? <laughs> in our predictions for the year, we said Canelo was going to fight Boval in May and better be in the fall. Remember what we said, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, no, but is there, a, is there a problem with Canelo fighting with or for Aram? Because he's never done it before and. I don't even know if they've ever spoken to each other. I, I don't know. I'm sure there may, there's must have been some communication, whether it's been one way or not. But at the same time, here's the thing. I think that if Canelo has ever considered fighting either Better BF or Smith, or mm-hmm. fight, uh, which would mean working with Bob Aaron Taprink, I think that Canelo looks at it and thinks, you know, it's not really the biggest priority out there for me i can still fight Bavol or a charlo or a golovkin and then later on those possibilities still are you know can still happen and you know again if and i said this and i I don't know if you remember but i remember i said this it would be smarter for canelo to fight Bavol first let that's what you said let better be exactly we said that he would fight Bavall first and then the winner of Better B.F. Smith in 2022. And That's then, what we both said. And, and you the, did say that it would be smart of him to fight Bavall first. Yeah. And, you know, if he beats Bavall and he lets the Better B.F. and Joe Smith winner, um, you know, they fight. Canelo fights that winner. Boom. Undisputed and light heavyweight. I... You know, and then he could retire into the sunset as the greatest Mexican fighter of all time because he would have done what no other Mexican ever did. Oh, boy, you're going to anger a lot of people with that. I, look, I got him at number two right now. Only way he gets to number one over Salvador Sanchez is if he becomes undisputed light heavyweight champion of the world. No other Mexican has ever done that. Undisputed at two weight classes it's never been done by a Mexican fighter. None. Theoretically, no. if Canelo were to fight Bivol and fight the Joe Smith and yeah. Archer Better, better be a be winner it. later this year, I mean, that could still technically be within a time frame where Canelo's not forced to vacate any of his titles. He could theoretically become undisputed at two weight classes at the exact same time, which I don't think in modern boxing history it's been done. The, the last person to have two undisputed championships at the same time and I could be mistaken, all right? I'm an old man, but it would have been when Henry Armstrong was the undisputed featherweight, lightweight, and welterweight champion, champion of the world when there was only eight weight classes. Yeah, right? I think, yeah. We're I, talking 80 years. I think a little more. I think it's a little yeah, more. It was 1938, over 80 years. Yeah, yeah, close to 100 <laughs> years. Yeah, so. <laughs> no, not close to 100 years. <laughs> <laughs> not that. It was you could eighty three to eighty four years, okay. <laughs> but since then, I don't recall anybody holding two undisputed titles at the same time. Never, nevertheless, I'm three. saying there's a man. I think because I believe Clarissa Shields technically for a brief period. Very... No, yes, yes, women's Clarissa Shields for a, for a brief moment. But as far as men go, 
like uh, Floyd held the ring junior middleweight and welterweight championship and maybe one wake uh, one alphabet belt in one division and two in the other, but not undisputed. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sugar Ray Leonard held the WBA junior middleweight championship and the WBC welterweight championship at the same time, but when he became a before he even fought Hearns to become the undisputed welterweight champion of the world, he had dropped that WBA junior middleweight championship. He only held it for a brief uh, a period. It, it, it's, it's rare. It's rare. Uh, Canelo will be making history. No one else could have said that it's, uh, in over 80 years. <laughs> yeah. And again, and listen, it's still a possibility that, you know, at the end, maybe Canelo chooses Jamal Charlo. Maybe he likes the prospects and the potential pay out the fighting of David Benavides. If we're to believe what its promoter Samson Lukovic uh, had mentioned very recently that they've offered $50 million to Canelo for a Benavides fight. So, you know, there's still a, pos- there's still a lot of great fights. That's the only way you're going to get him in the ring. $50 million. I hope th- I hope that I hope his investors are there. It's worth it, though. To be honest with you, if you pay Canelo $50 million, you're going to still see a profit. If you still think about it this way. If you were to let's let's put Canelo versus Benavides on pay per view, let's say it does a million. Let's let's a nice well, round forget number. Forget that they have it. In, they have it in the Dallas Cowboy Stadium. They do that, and yeah, you know what? What, what can you know? At seventy five dollars million pay per view buys. That's seventy five million. Mm-hmm. Plus the gate at Tex in 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 um. What do they call? What do they call it? Cowboy Stadium, AT and T Stadium, AT and T Stadium, which will host anywhere from eighty to hundred thousand people that night because it's Canelo fighting. Uh, you're making a profit, period. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it'll absolutely. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I think it'll absolutely. Let me put it this way: the highest grossing Canelo Alvarez fight, gate wise, was twenty seven million for the. First Gennady Golovkin fight, then the second one did twenty four million. So you'll do you'll do anywhere between twenty and thirty million at the gate. So add that onto this at seventy five million number. I did that's that's a that's a hundred million dollars at least right now. It, you know that you're saying fifty percent of it goes to Canelo. I said that's worth it. I said that's money uh, well and, and, spent. And it's and that's just a base price because after pay per view buys and the gate. At, at, from the stadium, he'll be making close, probably closer to a hundred mil, at least eighty. Yeah, I mean, you you'll get your bang for your buck, and you know, uh, Carlos, they'll have it in movie theaters all all across the United States. They're gonna make a ton of money, and that's not ton to mention, you know, international yeah. broadcast rights. Yes, 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 yes. So, I mean, oh, it'll, it'll make easy, a it'll make a fucking yeah. mint in Mexico. <laughs> yes. Yeah, never mind. <laughs> I'm like in Mexico. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they 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 could definitely they could definitely do that and still make a huge bank bank for their buck. I love I love to see it. And um, Benavides Canelo will be an incredible fight. Out of all the fighters from 168 to 175, Carlos, I think that's the most exciting fight: Canelo versus Benavides. Yeah, I think I listen. Uh, I think it was Dan Canobio who had mentioned, who had written a, uh, posted a tweet about like the Super Bowl of like boxing cards, like Bank Your Own Card. And I said, Canelo Alvarez versus David Benavides is the fight I would go with to headline that card. Man, that, I mean, that is, that, I hope eventually that fight happens. I don't think it'll happen this year, but next year, that would be the biggest fight of next year. That would be an incredible war. Uh, I would still favor Canelo, but Benvenides would be a live underdog, and he'd bring it. It would be incredible. Yeah. Actually, speaking of uh, of that tweet I didn't mention, so, uh, so we obviously we just had the Super Bowl right now. First of all, congratulations to the LA Rams, and my heart goes out to all Bengals fans out there. Uh, but uh, that tweet that I mentioned, so it would basically build your current day Super Bowl boxing card. So you get four fights and two prelims. I had said, and you tell me what you think, Canelo versus Benavides, Spence versus Crawford, Tank versus Lomachenko, uh, Katie Taylor versus Amanda Serrano, and then my prelims would be Michaela Mayer versus uh, Alicia Baumgartner, and Naoya Inouye versus Stephen Fulton. 
That sounds like a $150 pay-per-view. Uh, what is it? $25? No, $3,000 ringside seats. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking a, man, that's a dream card. I can't come up with a better card than that card. I'm not even going to fucking try. <laughs> That card is phenomenal. Phenomenal. Man, that's a true blue Super Bowl of, of, of boxing. It reminds, reminds me of a card. Um, you've heard of Harold Smith, the, the Muhammad Ali uh, promotion scandal from the early 1980s. He stole millions of dollars of, from Wells Fargo, and he was able to secure promotional contracts with Aaron Pryor, Thomas Ernst, Alexis Arguello, etc., he had set up a Super Bowl of boxing at Madison Square Garden where you were going to have Thomas Hearns versus Wilfred Benitez, uh, Duran versus Aaron Pryor, uh, Holmes versus, I mean, Kenny Norton versus Jerry Cooney. Well, a couple of months before that call was supposed to happen, uh, Harold Smith got caught embezzling money out of Wells Fargo, went to jail, fight was scrapped. The only fight that actually happened was the 54-second massacre of Ken Norton by Jerry Cooney. Oh, man. And my father was going to take me to see that card. It's a heartbreaker when you got arrested. But, man, this card you just mentioned that you would love to put together, that's a dream. That's a a boxing man's fantasy right there. (laughs) So, you know, that was fantasy, and this is now to pseudo-fantasy and potential reality. The WBO... Man, there's been a big mess at the WBO middleweight and super middleweight uh, divisions. So Demetrius Andre is the middleweight champion for the WBO. He's thinking about moving up to super middleweight, you know, right, right now. Right, right. And the WBO had previously ordered Andrade to defend his title against Johnny Beck Hanala, who is the right. mandatory right. challenger. Right. Now, the WBO has said, okay, Andrade will... Can still move up, keep his title, and he'll face face Zach Parker for an interim belt at super middleweight. Uh, that and that in, doesn't make any goddamn sense. And in exchange, and and on the other side, Alan Hanala now is ordered to fight Esquiva Falcao for an interim belt at middleweight. So now you get two interim title fights that may that are depending on how things go, could entirely be very inconsequential. I, I thought Andrade was moving up to 160 permanently and leaving 160 behind. Well, he's... Because you know, you know, Carlos, from being a boxing fan all these years, that whenever somebody from 160 moves up to 168, they don't go back down to 160. They don't. They do not. And, well, apparently Andrade will get to have his cake and eat it. And oh, it doesn't make any damn. They just stripped the guy. He's not fighting at 160 anymore. Put the winner of uh, Falcoa and and um, Andrade's former number one uh, contender, mandatory contender. Make that the winner of the uh, of the the WBO title, and let Andrade go, please. And then Andrade in an interim WBO title fight. Why not just a title eliminator? What the hell is this? Look. Uh, Interim title crap for. I, I don't know. You know, I, I understand. Unnecessary titles. You know, I understand from the middleweight title perspective because look, if I, I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that Andrade. I'm. It's not just that I'm convinced. I know we can all clearly see that Andrade has one foot out the door at middleweight. So I understand making an interim title fight in the sense that you know, even when Andrade vacates. The title at 160, you already got an interim belt holder who can be elevated to full champion. It's exactly what happened with Brian Castaño. Brian Castaño, um, you know, he beat Patrick Teixeira to become an interim title holder at 154 for the WBO. And after, you know, after Jaime Munguia went up to middleweight and vacated that title, you know, Castaño was elevated to full champion. Essentially, this, it's, this could potentially play out similar to that at middleweight, but for super middleweight, it's a little perplexing because 
Yeah, you'll become an interim title holder, but you're not going to be fighting Canelo Alvarez this year. It's, you know, whoever wins between Zach Parker and Canelo Alvarez, they're not in Canelo's top five for next. We clearly have seen what Canelo thinks of Andrade. You know, Canelo thinks Andrade is at the bottom of the barrel. Canelo's never going to fight Andrade. His hatred for him is unwavering. Uh, And um, I hate that, but Reality is Canelo is the A fighter. Canelo picks and chooses who he wants to fight. And you know what? As much as I hated Carlos, he's got the right to do that. He's the number one man in boxing. They've all done it. Oscar De La Hoya, Sugar Ray Leonard, Muhammad Ali, uh, Julio Cesar Chavez, Floyd Mayweather, Manny Pacquiao. When you get to that position, you, 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 you command whatever you want to do in the ring. Canelo doesn't want to fight Andrade, so that fight's never going to happen, right? And he doesn't have to, because look at all the other guys he can fight. Charlo, Baval, Benavidez, a Triple G again, a better BF, uh, uh, maybe David Morrell down the line. He doesn't need Andrade. So, Andrade, if I was Andrade, I would have stayed at 160, but he's going to move up to 168, and again, he's going to be shut out, <laughs> period. I think that... I think that... As much as they say 160 could play out to the scenario I mentioned that had occurred at 154, I suppose if Canelo ever gives up that WBO belt at 160, the Parker Andrade winner would yeah. be elevated to full champion. But I do not see that happening anytime soon right now. So that after to... well, if he fights Bavall, beats Bavall, but then again, you know what? Canelo could Canelo has so many incredible and. Uh, great opposition at both 168 and 175 that he could easily go back and forth between each division. So, yeah, you make a great point there. Yeah, so we'll, we'll see. Another fight that had been that was ordered was this one on the IBF side was Jerron Ennett versus Castillo Clayton in a welterweight title eliminator. This was previously ordered back in January, but no deal was read, and so a purse bid was set for March 1, although that will probably not even occur because the the fight is reportedly on. They're still waiting on a date. It could fall in April. Uh, will, it, will it be on part... I heard maybe part of the Spence uh, uh, Ugas card. It, I don't think it's the... Uh, I don't think it's the Spence Ugas card. It's, it's very possible it could land on the undercard for the Erickson Lubin Sebastian Fundora. Okay, card. Okay. That 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 also has not. That's been on Showtime, also, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 Lubin, Lubin, Erickson Lubin versus Sebastian Fundora is is you know that's on for April. It's yet like, to be formally I like announced. That. I like I like that opponent for Ennis. Clayton will be his toughest fight of his career, and and Clayton really uh really impressed me in his last fight, in which I thought he won. They scored a draw. Uh, so um I uh. Look forward to that fight. I mean, I believe Boots wins, but Clayton is a is a step up, and and a part of that progression of Ennis going to that next level of being what we feel is the next great welterweight champion in the history of that story division. Yeah, and you're talking about the the Sergey Lipinets fight took place in 2020. He actually did have a fight a year later against Cameron Crail, which he won by unanimous decision. But yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah but, but I'll, I'll tell you, Lip, Lip, against Lipnitz, yeah, yeah. Which I don't understand it. That was for a inter, well, that was for the interim IBF title. Thank God it was a draw. That yeah. they haven't had a fight for the interim IBF title since, right? <laughs> No, and if you go to a, a box break and you look, you click on the title. I believe it's the only fight ever, or at least that's been put on. Because I don't, ever, I don't recall an interim IBF welterweight. Me neither. Champion. That's why I was may have been the baffled. first. That, that may have been the first, and right now, hopefully, last time it'll ever happen. It it baffled me, Carlos, because I could understand them doing it when Errol was in the hospital and people expected him to retire. They didn't expect him to come back from that horrific car accident. But this was scheduled after he had beaten, right, <laughs> Danny Garcia. I'm like, what the hell is this about? <laughs> oh, these sectioned bodies are crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so right now, so 
we just had the uh you know we we had a fight card on the zone this past weekend not a very big show it was highlighted by a crossroads a true crossroads fight between john Ryder and daniel jacobs and this was a title eliminator at for the wba to 168 not the title that canelo alvarez holds but the one held by david morrell although that was never specified and you know some people may have been a little misled by eddie hearn in that post fight interview talking more about canelo and not even mentioning david morrell but regardless Morrell, uh, J- John Ryder won the fight by unanimous decision. It was a, I'm going to be honest, it was not a good fight at all. And I'm sorry, split decision, not unanimous decision. But this was not a good fight a- 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 at all. I mean, Jacobs out-jabbed and out-worked, out-boxed John Ryder with a very tepid offense uh in the first half of the fight the jab work was fine but you know not not much else and john Ryder did absolutely nothing in the first half Ryder then started being a little more aggressive started being more active in the ring did just enough to sort of outwork danny jacobs for most of the second half of the fight but this was really kind of a i'll be honest it was a bit of a snooze fest and Ryder won uh a fight that many thought that jacobs actually should have won but, I mean, it's not like Jacobs can cry foul or cry ri- robbery because he, you know, he really didn't do much in the first half of the fight. He just did just a li- little bit more than John Ryder and really did not do anything in the second half of the fight. It was, you know, this was, Jacobs needed a big perform to sort of wave off the stink out of that Gabe Rosado fight from 2020. And this was not much better. It was slightly be- a slightly better performance, but this was not much better. It was a uh, has been now a series of multiple fights where Jacobs not only looks not great, he just looks so past it, like past that prime where he was a devastating puncher in the mid 2010s. He's just not that guy anymore. And you know, listen, if he, re- I'm not saying he sh- he has to retire but man this feels like good as time as any if you know if jacobs would were to call it quits i think no one would be upset at all because of that because he's had a long career he's headlined many big boxing shows he's headlined a couple of pay-per-views with gennady golovkin and canelo alvarez and i'm sure jacobs you know being the intelligent man that he is he probably has enough money saved up to where he doesn't need to fight again and you can just sense it. The, this is the, physically, this is not the same guy that he was a few years ago. This is not. Congratulations, John Ryder. But I don't see John Ryder getting a big fight out of this, or at least not you know a Canelo level type of fight. I don't think so. Danny Jacobs needs to retire ASAP. He's done. Stick a fork in him. John Ryder will be food for for David Morrell if that fight ever happens. Uh, which I don't. Which I'm not convinced it's going nah, to happen. I, I would love going, it for it to happen, but I, I would love for Morell to put him out to pasture. Danny Jacobs has a great head on his shoulders. You've interviewed him a few times. You know how good of a dude who he is. He overcame paralysis. He overcame cancer. Uh, he's had some incredible victories. That first round knockout on Peter Quillian was tremendous. He gave Triple G hell. The first fighter that stood his ground and fought toe to toe with Triple G, tremendous. I was there that and, night. At and the nearly party. beat him. Yeah, that if it wasn't for the knockdown, you could have made a claim that uh, he either got a draw or, or a close victory over Triple G. He was tremendous that night. Uh, he didn't show up against Canelo, and he hasn't shown up since. Uh, he needs to retire. Danny Jacobs could be a great color commentator he knows the sport he's well spoken he's articulate he's intelligent like Carlos said I'd rather hear him on the zone than Sergio Moore there goes your replacement right there Danny Jacobs has a great career in broadcasting forget about boxing he's done and Carlos I don't know if you noticed this the hunger seems to have gone from him as well I don't he, he doesn't want it anymore and he has lost a step 
add those two together, it's time to go. It's time to retire before he gets seriously hurt because the hunger's not there anymore and the skill has lost a step. And But, you know, kudos to him as far as career. He's had a solid career. Not a Hall of Fame career, but considering that he almost died and almost couldn't walk again, tremendous comeback, had some tremendous fights since then, but it's, he's done. Time for him to move on. I would love to see him as a broadcaster. Um, he could be a Sean Porter, Andre Ward-type level uh, color commentator. I agree. I fully agree. And honestly, I don't have anything any more to add on to that. So, and as far as John Ryder goes, <laughs> good luck. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> look, John Ryder at one point was David Morrell's mandatory challenger, and that fight never happened. And I'm there's nothing to suggest, you know, things have improved dramatically. Well, David Morrell mopped the floor with, with John Ryder, right? Would mop the floor with John Ryder. I don't think uh, Eddie wants to put uh, John Ryder in the ring with David Morrell. Yeah. It's I don't see that. I, you know, I, I hope that fight happens because I think it'd be another good test for David Morrell. But yeah, yeah. I, I just don't see it. Which happening. he needs, which he needs, because you know, um, uh, PBC is feeding him stiff after stiff. He needs to step up his competition. Ryder would be improvement over the clowns Morrell has beaten. Because you and I both agree, Morrell has all the ability in the world and has a lot of potential, but he's got to step up his competition. Yeah. All right, so we have quite a lot of boxing to sort of, I mean, it's not preview, but I will mention there's a lot of boxing to watch in th- this weekend. Friday, there is a good, there's a pretty good uh, showbox card out of Florida uh, on Showtime, which is going to be Jermaine Ortiz versus Nair Albright, which is a good fight, and I think it's in... You know, I mean, what, what what can I say other than you know? What what, typical... what 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 platform is that on? Showtime. Oh, you're talking about Showbox? Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. Showbox has a car for. I totally forgot. Yeah, go ahead, continue. Yes, yeah. Jermaine Ortiz versus Nair Albright. Very very good fight. Ortiz has looked good. Uh, you know he, um, you know in some of his fights, but although he did have the. The fight against Joseph Adorno, where he just got dropped multiple times in that fight and managed to escape with a majority draw. That was a robbery. And, you know, this is a a fight where another tough young, you know, another tough young fighter for Jermaine Ortiz. And this is a bit of a redemption fight for him because he needs to win this fight for... Ortiz to sort of keep that momentum going, whatever momentum mm-hmm. that was stopped from that majority decision. So mm-hmm. uh, he definitely needs uh, that. Albright is sort of getting his uh, is definitely looked great in the fight against Michael Dutchover last year. He stopped Dutch uh, Dutchover for uh, you know in the middle of the fight. He dropped him multiple times and. He's he's coming to the fight with a lot more momentum and has a lot of power. Or you know, don't let the you know seven knockdowns in fifteen fights fool you. He's got he's got more power than you know than the numbers may may indicate. So this has the potential to be a bit of a firefight on Showbox, and I am absolutely down uh, for this. I I think it's going to be great. And you know, Jermaine Ortiz. Has been in the ring, uh, you know, with Jerron Ennis and Teofimo Lopez uh, during the amateur. So he's got a lot to sort of live up to in that regard. Uh, you got Joe George versus Sean Hemphill and Paul Kroll versus Marquise Taylor on the uh, on on the undercard. So that's going to be the uh, the showbox card on mm-hmm. Friday, Saturday. As Robert had mentioned earlier in the show, we got we got a marathon of a car uh, of a day. Saturday, nine thirty a.m. Eastern. Jorge Linares versus Saur Abdullaev, pair of fighters who are former Devin Haney opponents, who Dan, Devin Haney has beaten. Linares, you know, back on the comeback trail yet again. 
uh, going after the loss to Devin Haney last May. He's his career has been up and down since he lost to Lomachenko back in 2018. Lost to Pablo Cesarcano with a you know still one of the most stunning you know demolitions I had seen. In, that 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 came out of nowhere against Pablo like, Cesarcano. <laughs> since then he's gotten a couple of wins. Returned to Japan. Lost to Devin Haney. Now in this next step of his career, which is, you know, it's look definitely winding down. He's 36 years old, turns 37 in six months in August. And Saur Abdullayev uh, has been able to sort of make a good comeback at the moment since he lost to Devin Haney back in 2019. He's got a three-fight win streak. He's got a win over former uh, lightweight title holder Dejan Sletikanen. Uh, this is going to be a it's a good crossroads fight especially for Abdullayev who's 27 he's got a big big fight against Jorge Linares who's still still a quality fighter but at this point after so many big fights over the years that he's 36 you know you gotta ask how good is Linares at this point. I was still bet- also Carlos. He's been in a ton of wars. Yeah, but but even then, I mean, he still hurt Devin Haney late in their in their fight last year. So Linares is still a oh, relatively still a top he's quality. Still a yeah, he's still a dangerous fighter without a doubt. Yeah, yeah. So that's going to be on ESPN Plus starting at nine thirty a.m. Eastern, starting at one p.m. Eastern. In on ESPN Plus as well in the United States, the long anticipated fight between Amir Khan oh, and Hell Brook. The blood feud has been spewing for years and years and years and years. It's finally happening. Both of these guys are way past their prime. Both of these guys uh, really have not won a big fight in a very, very long time. Both of these guys are past their primes. Physically, not what they used to be. Khan was a force at, at 140. Brooke was a very good welterweight. He's gotten the wins over Sean Porter to win his first world title. After that, he's got he had the uh his orbital bones, one orbital bone broken against Gennady Golovkin, the other one broken by Errol Spence in the next fight, and then been made an unsuccessful Jumped to 154 where he really got no big fights. Went back down to 147 where he got you know, dominated by Terrence Crawford. And Amir Khan has, uh, you know, not been in a great, you know, in a great spot career-wise. Khan inside the ring has also, you know, failed to live up to what he did at uh, at the weight class where he was a world champion. Coming up, you know, he lost to Terrence Crawford, got knocked out by Canelo Alvarez, hasn't really won a big, big fight since his, you know, since his big run at 140 pounds. I, I, I don't, I don't consider that a big run. Right, I would say he big, got, he, well, he, yeah. He, he got, he got obliterated by Danny Garcia. And he well, got that's when he was a world champion. I should, yeah, I should yeah. specify. Well, he was a world champion when Danny Garcia obliterated his ass. And, um, he lost. He lost to Peterson. I mean, you got to fight here against two of the most overrated fighters in the history of boxing, all right? You got one guy with a glass jaw going up against a guy with two glass eyes, all right? They're way past their prime, and neither man has ever beating, has ever beaten an elite fighter in their prime. In their prime. They've never beaten. Uh, uh, Brooks' biggest win was against Sean Porter who I believe is a step below an elite fighter. And Amir Khan has never beaten an elite fighter. He beat a washed-up Zab Judah, and he beat a never-that-good Paulie Malignaggi. Right? And he beat up a washed-up Marco Antonio Barrera. Uh, big fight in English, I could care less. Like you said, Carl, this fight's five, six, seven years too late. And a glass jaw versus two glass eyes. Uh, I guess whoever blinks wins. Uh, and I could care less. I wonder what would you consider uh, Amir Khan's best? Would you say Marcos Maidana was the best biggest win? And I thought Madonna won that fight. I, 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 he, Madonna, second half of the fight, Madonna 
battered him from pillar to post. He got lucky with that decision. And for yeah, those of you who may not, who may, who may yeah. have their little time, this was before. This was years before yeah. he beat Adrian Broner. Yeah, yeah, and that was a great fight. Uh, Khan showed the most heart in that fight. I thought Madonna won, but Khan fought well. Just the second half of the fight, he slowed down because Madonna is a motherfucking locomotive. He kept coming and coming and coming. Yeah, yeah, that that's his biggest win against uh, uh, Marcus Madonna in a fight that could have gone either way. Uh, Khan dominated early. Madonna dominated late. Yeah, so that's gonna be your. Uh, on ESPN Plus in the United States, I think it'll still have I'm the potential. Surprised. I'm oh. surprised a fight in England that big is on ESPN Plus. I thought that would be on Sky Sports. I believe, I believe it is on Sky. I think on Sky Sports box office. I think. Okay. All right. So that's all right. So ESPN Plus picked it up. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh... Listen, I'm not complaining. You know, listen, I'm getting a full Saturday morning of Jorge Linares and Amir Khan and yeah. Kelp Brook. Carlos Toro from twenty from 2015 would have been ecstatic. I know you. It's it's old timers' day on Saturday in, in the boxing world. Yeah, but you know, I think this has to make it to be a good garbagey type of fight. They'll maybe throw you know whatever they have left. Maybe they'll throw you know throw everything at each other, and that'll be it. The uh, the, I guess the last major, major card uh, on Saturday. Jaime Munguia versus Demetrius Ballard in Mexico. Yet another fight at 164 Munguia that is not against a major name or a title fight. Uh, it is a fight that has been a little bit, uh, you know, this fight that was originally supposed to take place last year. Ballard got injured, so the fight never happened. Now it's happening. At this point... You know, I'm I'm a broken record when I say you know Mugia shouldn't have to be taking these types of fights, but for some for some whatever reason, the powers that be, you know, the the boxing gods is just not getting Mugia in the ring against a Demetrius Andre or against any of the belt holders in 160. He was doing so great at 154, progressing so great, and he was fighting quality opposition at 154. Since coming up to 160, he's fought a bunch of jobbers. He's fought a bunch of guys that has no business being in the ring with him. Why? And before anyone tells me he's still young, he's still developing. Or, no, you know, at like, 154, no. he was fighting one quality opponent after another. 160, there's no excuse him being young. That's bullshit. And, you know, and again, his run at 154 was Saddam Ali on short notice right after Ali beat Miguel Cotto, Liam right. Smith, Brandon Cook, yep. Takeshi Inouye, and Dennis Hogan. That's a heck of a—that's a—and Patrick Alotti. That's a heck of—that's that, a pretty that decent a, run for a— That was a very good run at 154. For a 22, 20—for uh, yeah. a 21, 22-year-old who was never mm-hmm. meant to be in this spot, that's a pretty good run. And he won all. He won every single one of those fights, aside from the Inoue and Hogan fights by unanimous decision. Oh, and, and the Liam Smith. Half of those fights he's won by, mm. by, you know, inside the distance. And he dropped Liam Smith. He dominated Liam Smith. Yep. Yep. No other fighter has dominated Liam Smith. Like he did. not named like Canelo he... Alvarez. Mm. So. The training wheels that should have been taken off a long time ago. And by the way, and, and don't throw the, I mean, he's still building a r- rapport with Eric Morales. They've been together for a long time at this point. For They've been a long for years. time. For years. There are, there are no excuses. He's regressed. When you keep fighting stiff after stiff after stiff, it'll show up when you fight in a big fight. You, you're predicting Canelo beats Bavall. That happens because Boval has fought stiff after stiff after stiff. There's no there's no progression when you're a great fighter fighting bum. I'm not saying Mugia is a great fighter. He's a very good fighter. But he's fighting stiff after stiff after stiff. It's not going to help him when eventually he maybe he fights a Murata or a Lara or a Triple G. It's going to hurt him because he's fighting all these tomato cans. You, you, you don't learn from that. Now, I'm not saying that Ballard is going to beat Bunkia. But this almost feels it has the makings of a big upset. This I wouldn't be feels- su- I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I'm predicting Bunkia by late round stoppage, but you know, eventually this run 
it's going to blow up in his face. It's going to get to a point yeah. where Mugia, he's going, he really is going to get, um, you know, get put in a spot where Mugia could potentially lose. Like, okay, think about it. Balor, uh, throughout his entire run at 160, he's never really fought, he's never really fought a young fighter. He's all of his fights at 160 have been guys who are either past their primes or in their 30s. Long in the long in the tooth. Ballard's the only, the first guy that Mungia has faced since. Um, actually I actually have to go back a little. Since yeah, Takeshi Inoue in 2019. Yeah, because yeah, because Saddam Ali that was is older below, than him. That is yeah. below 30 years old. Yeah. Balor's going to be bringing in more energy into this fight than any of his past opponents. And again, I'm not saying Ballard wins, but I wouldn't be surprised if we get a big upset. I really wouldn't. Well, we we will see. We'll, and, um, that's going to be, by the way, that it will be on the zone starting at 9 yeah. p.m. Eastern. Yeah, that that's the nighttime card. Uh, I'll, 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 coming home from work, I'll get to see that Mungia Ballard fight. And I'm, I'm hoping for a pleasant surprise. I'm hoping Ballard gives him enough problems where uh, his his promoters and his management team go, all right, we, we got to stop this nonsense. All right, Robert. Do we have – is there anything else that you'd like you like to discuss? Covered, you covered everything, big man. You covered everything. All right, Robert, where did, where did the good people go and find you on social media and read your work? On Twitter, my handle is Robert Silva five seven six eight. Right now, Garrett is working on an article I wrote about Felix Trinidad, my twenty first greatest fight of the last forty five years, the largest, most comprehensive article I've ever written, over twenty three hundred words. You will not see a more thorough breakdown of Felix Tito Trinidad's career than what I will have will, that will be published of what I've written. I mean, I went back and read. I was like, God damn, I covered every single thing of his pro career. So that'll be coming out. And now I'm working on my number 20th fighter of the last 45 years, the body snatcher, Mike McCollum. Can't wait for that. All right. You can find me on Twitter at Carlos Toro Media. And you can also read some of my work at FightGameMedia.com. That'll do it. He's Robert Silva. I'm Carlos Toro. Thank you so much for joining us every single week here on the Fight Game uh, media network and here on the pound for pound podcast we'll see you in the next one to discuss uh, to recap all the fights and all the news here on the pound for pound podcast we'll see you in the next one hope you all have a great weekend take it easy everyone goodbye <laughs>